You, you just have to redo that episode with someone else. Yeah, because you couldn't create that organic yeah. reaction again. Okay, so this is an aviation history podcast, which looks at events in aviation history like air disasters, accidents, incidents, mishaps, and sometimes just the history of what I like to call how do humans zoom through the air at 600 miles per hour but still manage to be bored. That Was that an alternative name for this podcast? That, that was the... I like to call it aluminum tube, but when people ask me, mm-hmm. I say it's called Inside the Aluminum Tube with Shannon Baker, or no, I've never said that. <laughs> You're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution. It's just a horrible situation. Pull up. No, the plane is about to crash. Wind shear. You're looking a little anxious, Kent. Yeah. <laughs> Increase climb. Only if you really need me to. Threw his clothes off, had an accident, got his tree, and went night-night. 50, 40. Oh, so like some dumb bro shit. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. 30, 20. I'm sorry. I'm a little overwhelmed by what you just said. 10. Hence being poked in the rear uh, as a man in the middle of the aisle. Climb now. Given the context that you've given me, this does not sound like a good plan. Clear of conflict. I'm Shannon Baker. I'm your host and creator of this podcast. If you want to know what qualifies me to do this podcast, you'll have to go listen to episode zero. You can learn all about me there. If you want to see pictures of the airplanes, the events, etc., and enhance your experience, uh, you should follow me on Instagram and Twitter at AluminumTube. If you've listened to other episodes, you already know that I always have a co-host who is not an aviation expert. Their role is to ask questions that will help you, the listener, better understand what is actually happening. So my co-host today, uh, she was on a few previous episodes mary hall not only is she a guest but she gets a lot of production credit for helping uh make the show and do the instagram and just kind of general taught you how to instagram story production yes i do my best as a constant listener of podcasts i feel like i have absorbed a lot of knowledge right and so you just also know just how they roll out yeah right so that's yeah. So you've been on here before. Happy Absolutely. to have you back. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for coming to my apartment. <laughs> what have you been up to since COVID? Well, I'm We moved. haven't recorded, right? We haven't recorded in a while. And the last one I did, you were there. It was with Kent Sarf, and that was the remote one. Right. It was difficult. It was. I saw all the before and after frustrations of you trying to get that together. The sound was off by just like fractions of yeah, a fra- second. Right. The sound was not synchronized. It took me six hours mm-hmm. to literally clip all of his words and put them where they belonged or my words and put them where they belonged because yeah. the responses would kind of like overlap each other. Yeah. But we in, are in here person. together in person in my new apartment and we'll have some new. We'll have some pictures uh, in the new one of this. Exactly. Okay, so you know how we run this. Yes. Right. We talk. We start with the date. I tell you a little bit about the aircraft, the company, mm-hmm. the crew. We talk about the events. Then we say how things have changed because of the event, and then we talk about how things are now. You already know all that. Yeah, I have um, been on two of these episodes. If you're a listener, I am as well. So I have heard every episode no, at you, least once. you've been on th- three you're right i am also a little bit of a stoner and you can cut that out if you want <laughs> <laughs> all right so are you ready to get started i'm so ready okay so we start with the date right yes august 24th 2001 oh 19 Wait, years ago right before 9 11 yes but 19 years ago today 
I hadn't even thought about it. Dates and times don't mean anything to me right now. <laughs> That's the problem with COVID. It's put us all in this sort of like infinite reality that just melts together day yeah. after day. I Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where we all are, right? Yeah. So the airplane. We'll start with talking about the airplane. It is the venerable, the incredibly common Okay. Airbus A330. A330. It's just an Airbus A330. Are you familiar with this airplane? Can I see it? Here's the A330. It looks like an airplane. It looks like a plane I have been on, probably. It's a big jet. Oh, yeah. That's about it. How many rows are we talking because it looks very long. Lots it, of windows. It is a wide body. So two rows. So, so two aisles, I guess I should say. Yeah, two aisles, not two rows. Uh, two aisles. So the Airbus... Did that have two doors? Was it one of those? Uh, yes, it has a, a forward first, door. First class and a And then a, a middle door. people. <laughs> so the A330 is a long range twin engine. One engine under each wing, right? It's a wide body airplane. Wide body means two aisles. We just covered that. Some people get to sit you know, on the sides, the left mm-hmm. side and the right side. And then there's like lots of people that sit in the center. And in right. this case, in this case, the A330 had a configuration of two seats and then the aisle and then four seats in the middle and okay. then the aisle and then two more seats. When you're saying long range, would are we talking international? Yes, okay. long range. So easily, you know, 10 hours, 12 hours, that kind of range. Oh, okay. So from here to Europe, no problem. Work. Uh, the center row gets two center seats, right? So you do... Uh, some wide-body aircraft are wider than that. Like the yeah. Boeing 777 has actually five seats in the middle. So there's like a middle, middle seat. Yeah. That's even worse. This one's not so bad. But anyway, let's talk more about Just the airplane. Just fly overnight. Sleep this experience away. Put a blanket over your head. That's what I do. We're, we're going to be doing that in this flight, actually. Awesome. So the A330 is built by Airbus, which is a company in France. Okay. In the mid-1970s, Airbus conceived several derivatives from its very first airliner. Its very first airliner was called the A300 or the Airbus 300. The 330 was built sort of a on that kind of concept. Okay. It took its maiden flight in November of 1992. Oh, so the 300 or the 330? The A330. Okay. Was first flown in 1992. Okay. It entered service in 1994. The year I was born. <laughs> in January 1994, so a little bit before that. Oh, okay. So Airbus then launched a shorter tube. It carried less people, but it went farther. That's called the Air. That's called the A330-200. To Asia. But right to, for Asia for the Asia market. But this one is the A330-300, which is for the Europe market, and that's the one we're talking about today. Okay. Airbus has only one competitor in the world. Boeing. Boeing. Yeah. Yes. Um, the Boeing 767 uh-huh. was such a huge commercial success, and the A330 was Airbus's answer to the 767. They look right. quite... So s- not a total monopoly, but... A duopoly. Just, yeah. Yeah. They look really similar, and they have right. similar performance, et cetera, et cetera. And the A330 is also very commercially viable and very commercially successful. I In- mean, there's only so much you can change between... In 2014, Airbus launched the A330neo. It had different engines that were more efficient. Um, The A330neo entered service in November 2018. In 2019, there were about 1,500 A330s in operation. Okay. 400 more on order. So very successful. Yeah. Almost all of them, almost all of them are still flying. So good plane. Yeah, it's a good plane. It's very modern airplane. It's very prolific. So it's, 
people could still fly on those now if they choose. Absolutely. Like, yeah. uh, the largest operator is Turkish Airlines, but okay. these are operated around the world by a variety of um, companies, including Delta, Air France, Air Canada, operated by American Airlines, and a whole lot of other... A lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big carriers. Uh, one of the features of the Airbus that Airbus is very proud of is that the A330 is flown with a stick instead of a yoke. So you might have to explain the difference right. to me. So it, the the stick is mounted on the outboard sill of each pilot instead okay. of being a control wheel in front of you. Right. It has a stick and it's mounted on the outboard. Oh, okay. Kind of like a stand-up video game situation. Right. I'm going to show you a picture real quick so you can kind of understand. Pretty please. So you can see that this has no or control wheels in front of right. the pilots. You just have the screen. The stick is right over there on each side. I see. And I'll post that on the I'll post that on the Instagram. So it's it just almost looks more of a like a spaceship. Right, like, right. It's very modern, and they're situation. very proud of that. Airbus is very proud of that, and it allows for the pilots to get really fucking fat. <laughs> I was gonna say have more knee room, <laughs> but damn. <laughs> I mean, if let's get on, let's be honest, right? <laughs> But these guys actually are not fat. So the company. Okay. Air Transat. Tell me about them. It's Air Transat. Say it again. Air, Air Transat. Air Transat. Air Transat. Is that all one word? Transat is one word. It makes way more sense when you when see you read it, it right. out. Air Transat is a Canadian company. Uh, they're based in Montreal, Canada. Oh, Canada. They were founded in 1986. It's the country's third largest airline after Air Canada and WestJet. Uh, well, of they, course, Air Canada is like probably number one. Yeah. And WestJet is like the Southwest Airlines for Canada. Oh, okay. They operate scheduled. Affordable. Right. They operate scheduled and charter uh, flights serving 60 destinations in 25 countries. They operate a fleet of 44 aircraft. 20 of those aircraft are A330s. Okay. They have around 5,000 employees. By chartered and scheduled, do you mean they do private and public? So you could call them and be like, I want to take my football team to, you know, wherever from point A to point B. Okay. Is that common for a lot of uh, public, airlines, say like United or Delta? Air, yes. Would they airlines do, that? do that. All airlines do that. Okay. So yeah. it's not so divided into like corporate and. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So if you like had a large group that you need that you that you were like, oh, I want to go from Newark to Paris and I want to take, you know, three hundred my friends. Right. Three hundred <laughs> people and they would they would charter you that airplane. They would say, Okay, cool. we'll make a special flight for you. That's fine. And you might even get a deal. Maybe. I don't Bulk, really know. Um wholesale. <laughs> but it's worth noting that Air Transat is in the process of being acquired by Air Canada. Currently or at the time? Currently. Okay. The last movement on that was July of 2020. So not very long ago. Right. So they are really, basically, Air Transat is going to become Air Canada really soon. So we're only going to have two, two major airlines in Canada. Canada. Interesting. But there aren't that many people in Canada, so it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any questions so far? I don't think so. Okay. The crew. The crew consisted of 11 Canadian supermodels and, like I said, two fat fucking pilots. <laughs> Wait. I'm just kidding. <laughs> They had a crew of 13 normal people. 11 were flight attendants and two were pilots. 
the pilot. We were doing like a um, like a '60s Pan Am situation where you had to be like the hottest of the hot to get that hired. So true, right? Um, the pilots were, and this is important: Captain Robert Pichet. He's okay. age forty-eight, and First Officer Dirk de Jager. He is twenty-eight at the time. Okay. And that's all we need to know. You ready to move on to the events? Yeah. Do you have any questions? They're not supermodels. Sorry, I didn't. Mean Are to we gonna? learn more about like the crew and their experience they were both really experienced it's just a normal going flight. into this everything is fine it's all normal normal yeah because yeah. i've been on this podcast um before. captain robert pache had been with the company for over 20 years okay and first officer dirk de Jager, he was 28 at the time he'd been with the company for about four years but i mean he's with somebody who's very experienced they were both very experienced on the airplane actually yeah yeah dirk had almost five thousand hours on the Airbus. Wow. Um, and he's a first officer. The captain had over 10,000 hours on that type. He'd been flying the A330 okay. since it was launched. You'd want these guys. Captain Pichet had flown the A300 prior to the A330, so mm-hmm. he, he was very familiar with Airbus. Yeah. I think that's like what you were looking for. I'm coming in with a little bit of precaution always with this podcast and i just want to know how much i should have stop jumping ahead okay i'm sorry you always get me sweating at this point air transat 236 have you ever heard of that 236 obviously not okay it took off from toronto okay on friday august 23rd 2001 Mm -hmm. at around 9 p.m at night they were heading for lisbon portugal they carried 293 passengers. So pretty much full. 10 emotional support animals, including a llama. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Don't, don't fool me like that. Just 293 passengers. So no puppies at all? Not that them? I know of. Oh, okay. No. The aircraft. Well, that's fine. The aircraft, this particular aircraft was just two years old. Okay. It was configured for 362. Uh, it was placed in service in 1999. Okay. So basically a brand new airplane. Everything is fine. When it pushed back from the gate... It was carrying about 94,000 pounds of fuel. I'm just going to say that... It's enough to get them there. Yeah, it was going to arrive in Lisbon with about 20,000 pounds, which is about 10,000 pounds more than legally needed. So Hmm. all I'm saying is they had plenty of gas on board. Oh, like, okay, okay, I got you. Captain Pichet was the pilot flying on this leg. And a little more than four hours into the flight, just crossing 30 degrees west longitude. That means in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay. The pilots noticed something unusual about the right engine oil pressure and temperature. So mm-hmm. they have a little, they, they, they noticed something unusual. The pressure was high yeah. and the temperature was low. But let me put that in, let me put that in context. Someone that is who the, doesn't work with engines, I might need some. Right. So that's the opposite of what you would expect, expect if there was an actual problem. Oh. That was the opposite of what you'd normally see out of an engine problem. But it still stood out to them as something notable. Yeah, yeah because it's out of the ordinary. It was a not. It was not. It was non-emergency though. The pan, mm-hmm. the pilots ran a non-emergency procedure from the book. Right. That brought them to a maintenance page. You saw the glass cockpit. Wait, like a real book? Probably. Yeah. Probably. They actually Cute. ran a <laughs> ran a ran a procedure in a real book. They changed their glass cockpit wizardry to okay. to a, a page where they could more closely monitor the engine. And that's mm-hmm. called a synoptic page. So basically, they brought up like the expanded 
engine parameters on one of the displays. Just so it's at the forefront of their visual Right, where they could look after board. it. Yeah. yeah. They were talking to the company basically using text message okay. through their flight computer. The company had also asked them to monitor the engine and soon the engine stabilized. Okay. Nothing was unusual. The engine was running normal. But it was still sitting outside of its normal parameters with pressure high and temperature low. But they seemed to do what they were supposed to. Yeah. the and engine Nothing's is sh- going wrong. Really. Right. And the engine is actually, it was, it was really abnormal. And the pilots just thought it was a problem with the sensors. Because that mm. wouldn't indicate an engine problem. No. They thought, like, the, they thought the oh, readings. Oh, maybe the numbers are off because they're right. Everything's okay. Everything it's looks great. And it's not an emergency. And they're just more. like, I've never seen this before. I think the computers just lie into us, basically. And they oh. actually express that to the company. And some of the episodes that you've done, like communication has been an issue. But it sounds like they're talking to each other. They're talking to the company. trying, yeah. Like everything is... Yeah. Everyone's got their hand in trying to just... You've given me nothing to indicate anything at all. So far, it's... Everything seemed normal. Yeah, but even that, everything was, they're doing it in a correct manner. They're everything is running just procedure. fine. They're following procedure. They're communicating. What could go wrong? Uh, right. No one's being big-headed yet. That's so the pilots had this. Issue. So the pilots had this synoptic page up, right? A special right. page. Um, they were told to monitor the, the engine, just as they were told by the checklist and their maintenance personnel. So they had the. Everyone agrees. They had the screen up. Mm-hmm. That's what they were supposed to do. The checklist told them to do it. The maintenance text told them to do it. But. Here's the thing about that page. It blocks out the sort of normal overview page mm-hmm. because you kind of have a special page up. They stay okay. on the synoptic page right. with the engines for 30 minutes, monitoring the engine. And possibly not monitoring what would be there normally on that screen. Then they got what's called a What's mass- normally on that screen? A synopsis of general like... Function. Function like what's the fuel? What position are we? Where's the... All of these other just, just general parameters. Kind of like it's their normal dashboard. Like dashboard, like in your That's car. That's their normal dashboard. And then, but you got rid of that and put up, you zoomed into just one thing. Right. And they were told to do that. But they stayed there for a half an hour. They, as they were told to do. How easy is it to flip back and forth between these screens? <laughs> it's a button. Okay. Okay. I'm just asking all but the then, questions. But then, they got what's called a master warning light. Okay. okay. A master warning light is an amber light. It sits right in front of your face and it doesn't tell you what's wrong, but it tells you that something is wrong and you need to go look for it. Okay. Okay. Like I said, it, it just says to you, hey, dumbass, don't ignore me. Something is fucked up and you need <laughs> to go look and find out what it is. Okay. It doesn't tell you exactly what it is. It hey, just look, says, listen. It's like a check engine light. They looked at the engines, they were the same. So they knew hmm. that something else was wrong. So what they found was a, a fuel imbalance, meaning that there was less fuel in one wing than the other. Is that bad? It's uncommon, but it's not an emergency. Okay. <laughs> so they open the book. They follow a procedure to balance the fuel. They start transferring the fuel from the left wing to the right wing. You can right, do that? Left wing tank to the right wing tank. Absolutely. Cool. It's in case something fails or something's unusual. Something out of the ordinary like the fuel being... Well, Not even what if between. one engine failed and you had to go a really long way? Oh, okay. So you don't want to just burn all the fuel out of the one side, right? You want to be able to bring the fuel over and the airplane needs to be balanced. That, that makes so sense. they're built yeah, that way. That's cool. Right? It's called cross-feed. You cross-feed it from one side to the other. Because you'd be real annoyed if you're like, 
oh, we could only make it if we could just Oh, if we could just get that, that fuel over fuel there. Right, but Five feet over, whatever. So they transferred fuel from the, I'm sorry, from the left wing to the right wing, and they monitored it. Okay. But as the fuel was pumped from one side to the other, they saw it being pumped out of the left wing, so it's a number. Right. And they see the number going down from the left, but they don't see the number coming up on the right. Oh, no. Oh, no. And they don't know where it's going. I have a, a guess. Where We're over the ocean, right? Yeah. So where the fuel was going, <laughs> the fuel had been pumping out of a broken fuel line near the right engine. Oh, no. The airplane had been dumping fuel at a rate of one gallon per second. Oh, no. For the last hour and 15 minutes. You're, I just, sorry, I just covered my face. Oh, no. You just poured some out yourself. Right. So remember the weird engine indi- indications? Is that maybe what? That was a result, but it's kind of an outside result. So here's what happened. Airplanes use fuel right. to cool off engine oil. Okay. They use the engine oil to heat the fuel to avoid ice in the fuel. So they basically oh, use fuel to cool off up. the oil and they use the oil to warm up the fuel. Okay. It's pretty ingenious. Yeah. I didn't think you would need to warm up fuel, but I guess when you're that you high do. in can, the air. It can, I, can ice up because it can be like minus 60 C up right. there cold. Here's what had happened. The fuel had been th- flowing through the engine oil cooler much faster and causing the engine oil to get much cooler. And when hmm. engine oil gets cool, it gets thick. Pressure went up. Yeah. And the engine, fuel t- uh, the engine temperature oil went temperature down. went down. Oh. It wasn't wow. a problem for the engine. It's just what happened because the fuel line broke. So the engine was actually like, that's fine. I don't care. I can deal with this. Right. But yeah, they're it's leaking a line fuel. At a gallon a second. That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay. No, so no. where are we in terms of fuel loss? I broke it down so that you wouldn't have to. Originally, Good, I went to art school. Originally, the airplane had 14,000 gallons on it, okay? okay? They had to make an eight-hour flight-ish. They needed about 11,000 gallons of that 14,000 to make the flight. That's most of it. Yeah, but I mean, that they're landing with 3,000 gallons of fuel. That's plenty. Yeah, but... Plenty, okay, but... They need... In that hour and 15 minutes, they pumped out almost 5,000 gallons of no. fuel. 4,500 gallons, plus what they had been using to fly Already. the airplane for the last four hours. No. And they still had roughly four hours to go to Lisbon. So here's so here's our breakdown. They had either used or lost 10,000 gallons of the 14,000 gallons they had on board. They can't stop the leak. Right, because it's probably something like physical that you have to like weld. It's you how can't even you get, get to it's it It's how you right get the, now. The, the fuel from the tank to the engine. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't get stop to that it. with the engine on. Right. So five minutes later, the pilots decided to divert to Lodges Air Force Base, which Lodges is, that, is in the air in the Azores. It's just the closest one, I it's assume. The closest one. They declared a fuel emergency with Santa Maria Oceanic Control, which is the control from the Azores that controls that sector. And they continued flying with the intent of making it to Lodges in the Azores. How far are we away from this place? <laughs> so they continue to fly for about 30 more minutes and the sun starts to come up. Okay. So it's at dawn. They have about 170 miles to go to Lodges. They're at 30 How much is that in time? That's about 20 minutes. Okay. At 30 I feel okay. <laughs> they are 30 I feel slightly okay. They're at 39,000 feet. Hmm. And then the A330's right engine turns off due to fuel starvation. Mm. The left engine continues to run. Which was the one that we had the 
the right side. So now the right tank is empty. Mm. The left one's still running. Now Captain Pichet, he's the one flying. They go down to 33,000 feet because they can't stay at 39,000 feet. That takes two the power from two engines. Right. So they descend to what's called their drift down altitude, which is 33,000 feet. The crew then sends a mayday to Santa Maria. Yeah, be like, get the fuck out of our way. We're about to land this shit hot. So 13 minutes later at 625 a.m. Azor time, the A330 is 75 miles from Lodge's Air Force Base. The remaining engine runs out of fuel. No. <laughs> no. Are we still over water? Yes. Because this is an island you're saying that yeah, we're it's an going, island. aiming the for. The Azores is, a, is an island chain. Fuck. Sorry, so now, I'm cursing. So, so now we have, en- we have no <laughs> engines. Without engines, the plane is going to have to glide the remaining distance. And it's lost most of its electrical power, but it has backup power for the radios. And it has enough hydraulics to control the airplane and get the gear down and put the brakes on, but nothing else. So we're at like minimal Minimal capacity capacity. and range. Yep. Question. Um, How much of knowledge would the passengers have had of all of these going on? Okay, so the passengers would have seen, the passengers would have felt the engine (laughs) shut off. Yeah. And then they would have felt the airplane descend and then the other engine would have been running. Do you have to tell them? In terms, yes. So in terms of where the passengers are mentally, I would be shocked if they weren't freaking Freaking the the fuck fuck out. Yeah. I I mean, I'm sure I've heard people who fly on planes a lot say like, judge your reaction off of the flight attendants because they are trained in this shit. I bet they were also having a hard time holding it together at this point. Once you hear that second engine go. Once you hear the second engine go and it th- gets and really quiet. And you're still quiet, over water. But, but more things happen because their second engine failed at 33,000 feet. So <sighs> here, so listen to this. They have no air brakes. So there's no way to slow the airplane down in the air. Jeez. They have no flaps for landing. They have no anti-skid brakes. I, I have to take my jacket off. I'm they have hot. very little. They have the basics as far as instruments. And oh, also, they have no pressurization now for the people because the engines provide. So the pressure. things have popped. It took five minutes, and then the oxygen mass dropped. So five minutes of depressurization. Yeah, it, because the because the fuselage is kind of tight. So it and takes. It just that takes long. a little time for it to leak. So you went like, like a balloon where you could like make it just but leak slow. Okay. Not like if a window blew out or something. That's that's a right. That would be a, called a sudden depressurization. Got it. Got it. Got it. So the smart passengers put their masks on, and the dumb ones claimed it was a violation of their constitutional rights. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've seen those memes. Right, and right. It's very relevant. <laughs> All right. Well, so what really happened? I so, thought you were being serious for a second. No, I'm no. like about to be like those dumb ass passengers. <laughs> no. So remember, they were landing at an airbase, right? So the military air traffic controllers are now providing guidance to the aircraft okay. um, with their airport, with their radar system. The pilots calculate that they have about 15 to 20 minutes left of flying before they're forced to land in the ocean. And so they can't make it gliding. So contrary to popular belief, jet aircraft actually glide quite well. Well, you said they could glide and I wasn't... They can glide. I was expecting a level of it, but yeah. how long can you go for? Well, this... The, I calculated that they had about 15 to 20 minutes left of gliding. But after less than 10 minutes, the crew spotted the airbase. Okay. okay. Wait, but they can't break in air. It's going to be tough. But they see that they have the airport in sight. So do they have to like circle? So now they're high. So let's talk about Captain Pichet. 
Cap- yeah, I need to go back into Captain so we're Pichet, back into the cockpit. Captain Pichet is a glider pilot, a recreational glider pilot. He owns he owns a gl- <laughs> he owns a glider. Yes. He even teaches people how to fly gliders. What no are, way. What are the fucking odds of that happening? And he's the one current. He was the one flying when he's this the one all flying. went down. Yep. Wow. So Captain Pichet. So we really had the right guys. So Captain Pichet does one 360 degree turn over the top of the airport. He lines up for the runway. He is way too high and way too fast. So he does what's called S-turns. He turns back and forth. Well, it kind of like slows he and help, takes up time. Yeah, it, right. It helps the it helps the airplane get slow. It helps him descend, but the airplane remi- remains high and fast. And Captain Pichet has one chance. And obviously, it's not something he's ever done. No, I mean, obviously, I feel like we definitely do have the best scenario for the situation we're in. We have. Possibly the guy with the only experience to help who would have done this before. Right, exactly. So, do you get trained in this sort of thing? We do. We do um, some two engine out procedures. So both engine fail procedures when we are in training. We do some of that, okay. but very very little. That the chances of having a double engine failure are very slim. So it's not something we train extensively. And they extensively. didn't technically have a double engine failure. No. They ran out of gas. They ran out of fuel. They had a fuel leak is what they had. Fuel. So at 6.45, and I call it fuel because it's jet fuel. It's chemically close to diesel. It's not like gas. It's not like gasoline. Right. So at 6.40... Obviously not the expert on the podcast. All right. So at 6.45 a.m., the massive plane touches down, but really hard and really fast. At Wait. 230 miles an hour, it touches down on the runway. Whoa. Which is 90 miles an hour faster than it should. And it touches down past the end of the runway. The airplane bounces once. Wait, no. Oh. And then slams down again. No. Captain Pichet applies maximum emergency brakes. Now remember I said there was no, no anti- energy. There's left. no anti-skid. All eight wheels lock up. The tires wear through within five seconds and burst. No way. However, the airplane was successfully brought to a stop on the center line of the runway, three quarters of the way down the two mile long runway. Just on like the rims. The r- Oh, yeah. I'm in shock. (laughs) Yep. 14 passengers and two crew members suffered minor injuries from the landing. Two passengers suffered serious injuries from the evacuation. (laughs) They just fell out of the. Yeah, they they basically, yeah, they probably they broke a leg or something. The plane suffered some structural damage to the main landing gear and the lower fuselage. Yeah. But everyone lived. So now take a breath and tell me what you think. My word. That's a lot. So they only went around once. They did one circle. I really thought they were going to like kind of corkscrew it down, like take their... Well, here's the danger. You don't necessarily know how much altitude and how much speed a full turn in a circle is going to take. Oh, okay. So then when you roll out of that circle, you kind of have to think, okay, can I do another one? And if the answer is maybe then probably shouldn't try it. Right, because you'd be in the wrong direction. Yeah, because then, you, That's then why you're the like, S's oh, I'm happened. too slow and I'm not going to make the runway. Yeah. Captain Pichet touched down slightly long. Now, too fast, but slightly past where he should. He slammed the airplane down, but he, he got it down. 
I have no complaints. No, Captain <laughs> Pichet is a hero. Yeah. Absolutely. And like chose the best hobby ever. Right, exactly. So he was really passionate about what he did. Yeah. Um, wow. I bet he never thought that he would be piloting a A330 as a glider. Absolutely not. So you want to know what happened now? There's more. Well, I mean, we're going to kind of wrap it up. Okay. Please tell me these guys got like a vacation at least. So I don't actually know what happened to the crew, but I'm pretty sure they were probably they were probably given, you know, awards or whatever because that was some heroic shit. Absolutely. Sure. No long-lasting injuries. No. And remember we talked um, briefly about Sully, right? Sully Sullenberger. And, you know, truthfully... In real life, not on the podcast. Right. In real life, not on the podcast. We talked about Sully and how Sully really didn't have a choice. Like, he looked around and he goes, I can't make it here. I can't make it there. The only place that I can land is in, in the, the middle of the Hudson. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm going to land. Mm-hmm. He was kind of... He was he was bottlenecked into that one thing. Captain Pichet had hours, had over an hour mm-hmm. to go through all these things in his mind, to make all these decisions, to really... That crew, and I don't mean just him, but that crew had to sit there and talk about it and say, right, can we I'm make sure it? How are we going to make it? They're calculating. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, first officer was helping him as oh, much as he could. Oh, he's very right? But they definitely had in their mind that that the airplane could turn to a glider. They're, they're, yeah. That was like, they they were basically they're like, running all the we're options. going to lodges, worst case scenario, we're going to we land it, we're going to glide it and land it on the runway, mm-hmm. or worse, we're going to do our water. best to land it in the water. Safely. But he had a lot of time to think about it, and then he executed maneuvers, and it was a hard touchdown, and he made it work. But the touchdown wasn't even that hard, and we're going to cover that in a minute. So following the accident investigation, the French... Aviation Authority issued an emergency inspection of all A330s. They required a detailed fuel leak procedure to be in the flight manual, and they had to retrain the crews on the procedure. Okay. Okay. The Federal Aviation Administration required new airplane flight manual procedures, sort of the same, talking about fuel leak. Did they find out if it was like a manufacturing thing, or was it just a one, It just this one plane had an issue? It was this one aircraft. Just like... Cars can have an issue, or just right. like anything. It could just be. Can it could have been. You know, I mean, it, it could have been a million things. It just happened in this one airplane. Yeah. They didn't find another problem all through the Airbus fleet. I'm glad they checked. It really was just like a random occurrence. It really was. But you remember how we said before that a lot of aviation moves really slowly unless well, something bad happens. The French and the U.S. Um, aviation Authority gave a 15-day grace period before enforcing the new rule. So they could huh. only fly Airbus A330 with the old procedures for 15 days. Cool. Airbus modified its computer systems. The onboard computer now checks all fuel levels against the flight plan. Mm-hmm. It gives clear warnings if it detects a fuel leak or thinks it's a fuel leak, or if an engine just burns more fuel than it's, it, should. it should. Right. The fix was essentially immediate. Wow. Not a single incident has occurred since. Wow. <laughs> You want to know what um, happened to the airplane? That specific one? Yeah. yeah. So it was repaired. It was returned to service with Air Transat no in December of 2001. Would you want to know if you were on that plane? So it was actually it was only actually out of plane. service just a few months. Oh, okay. So it made a few more fly a few more months of flying. You mean? No, I'm saying it was only down in the Azores for a couple months. This happened on August 24th. It was back to flying in December of the same year. And then it flew So September, October, November, three months, and it was back to flying. 
for how much longer? The airplane. Do we know. Yeah, the airplane continued to fly for a very long time. Wow. It was killed by COVID nineteen. <laughs> it was placed in, in into indefinite storage in March 2020. That was when COVID-19 happened. I wasn't kidding. It was killed by COVID-19. I thought you were making a dumb joke. No, they put it into storage in March 2020. Yeah, a lot of of airlines were putting planes into storage around then, weren't they? Yeah. After the incident, everybody knew which airplane it was. They unofficially nicknamed it the Azores Glider. Oh. And it continued to fly until March 2020. I wish they'd given it like a fun paint job. (laughs) I don't think they. I don't think they wanted to officially name it as like the airplane that did that, but I I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, a lot of these big airplanes that were parked, um, and this one is older. Like we said, it was produced in 1999. It's now 21 years old. It's probably not coming back out of storage. No, because they're already and still making. New ones. new ones so it was approaching the end and of its ordering new service ones. life and it's just sad that it had to be taken out the way it did it would have been way sadder if all those people had died and that's how it got taken out that's right so my main source for this so i like to say my sources the main source for this was the portuguese aviation authority official accident report uh-huh. which i i read and that's how i wrote this i also used um wikipedia for the overview and a few a few um news articles and that was it nuts did did have you I think you only, I think of the four stories now that you've had, only one other one people didn't die. I wouldn't have been wanted to be on that flight either. This one I wouldn't have wanted to be on, but I this would have been a better story. But I think you touched on something that was really important, right? Which is I kind of had centered on what was going on technically and with the flight crew because that's my world. But right. you said, do the passengers know? Like, I... Wow. They were... And I, it never occurred to me. They were fucking terrified. Do they have to tell you what's going on? Like, oh, like you hear... Hey, this is your captain speaking. Or I guess it would have been the first officer because the captain's right, flying. Captain's this flying. is your first officer speaking. Uh, we've been leaking fuel for the last hour and a half and potentially we'll be gliding into the ocean. ocean. But um, on the positive side, who wants to go to an island? <laughs> <laughs> right. Who wants a vacation in the Azores? Yeah. Um, well, like what the... F- they had to be terrified. I mean, so you have one engine fail and everybody obviously at that point is like, holy and, shit. And you and said it was overnight. Engine... So some people were probably asleep until who knows when. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of the people were waking up to their, os- to their oxygen mask falling. God. Fuck. Right. So, no, I would think after the a second nightmare. engine failed, they would have like woken everybody up, turned the lights on, emergency well, that's lights exactly... and gotten people awake. And That's what I'm saying. Like, when do you inform them that? I don't things know. Things are going wrong. Like, how far do you go until you legally have to tell people they're in danger? I don't know air transat procedures, but um, I know at the places that I've worked, when the, the sort of the criteria is when the customer, when the passenger would notice a problem, you have to tell. You them. better say something. So, possibly when the first engine stopped running, yes. that's when. Possibly before that. They, they may have said, uh, hey, folks, we have a maintenance issue. We're going to divert, divert to the Azores. Because that happened before. Sorry. I, I know I just heard the whole story, but I mean, it's a it lot. was a lot. It's a lot to take in, yeah. And then, so remind me again the time from when they realized it. So they realized it, and it was then, like, to, to the time they touched down, it was around two hours. Oh, no. <laughs> I really thought it was... I mean, I, I guess, like, a lot of it was them... Like you said, the first half hour was them looking at the 
synoptic engine synoptic, synoptic so they didn't even think really anything was wrong but at least for over an hour you're yeah. stressed out oh yeah stressed oh yeah i'm not gonna be so anxious anymore <laughs> you can't be in that situation if you were on that plane like and ever be anxious again like nothing can top that right. sitting sitting in that feeling for that long it is important that you kind of brought the passengers into it because i really did neglect that that's and i think that that's here. the important thing is the passengers were terrified and but well the pilot and and the whole crew i'm sure are scared too but they're like trained to put that behind them oh to yeah focus absolutely. And they had something to focus on. The thing that is the most scary to me about the whole situation from a pilot's perspective is, number one, it's an island, so are we going to make it? And number two, when you come out of that 360-degree turn, at that point, you have one chance. If you mess it up, you're going to either miss the runway, you're going to land short of the runway, or you're just going to go off the other end. And yeah. so you had one you have one chance. So it's not even like we're diverting off into like Kansas somewhere. Right. It's not like, oh, this isn't gonna work out. Let's go and go somewhere else. No. Or Cap, just, when he lined up, he had one chance. Yeah. And that could have Threading ended Threading a needle. Right. And that could have ended in the aircraft crashing on the runway. Yeah. Or overrunning the runway or not making into it. Into the, the water. Run- crashing right. into the water. Or not making it to the runway. Mm-mm. And so all of those things are bad. Mm-hmm. But I mean it, Sometimes best case scenario. Sometimes it comes out well. Wow. I know you're used to tragedy, but sometimes it works out. I mean, at least there were no feces in this one. <laughs> Agreed. Well, anyway, it was great to have you on. We'll have you again soon. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it.